When we look at our culture today, we need to look at it in one of two ways. The first way is with conviction. What I mean by that is that we can see the craziness that's going on in our culture, particularly here in America, and we would say that what is evil is good, is considered good, and what is good is considered evil, right? And somebody say, well, isn't it in the Bible somewhere? Well, yes, it is. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20, God is speaking to Israel, to God's people, and he says this through the prophet in Isaiah 5 verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So we look at our culture and we, we, we say, we look at it and say, you know, what, what the world thinks is good is evil. Now they're saying that what we're doing is good. There's nothing wrong with it. And somebody will say, well, is this unique to our culture? Well, no, every generation has had to deal with this very issue of living in the culture at their time. I remember as a, a teenager living during the sexual revolution of the late 60s and early 70s. And uh, the same thing was being said then about the culture at that time. Many of you remember that and experienced that. But you know, it's unique to every culture, and it goes all the way back to the very first culture. Because the very first culture was the Garden of Eden, and it was a very good place. But God allowed man to have a free will so that he could choose whether to do good or to do evil. And what did he do? He chose to do evil. He thought it was good, but it was evil, and it's affected every culture since then. So the heart of the culture is sin. Now, they don't know that, and in many ways they can't help that. But when we, we look at the culture, we need to understand that that is the heart of the culture. Last week we talked about the heart of the believer, but today we need to say okay how's the believer looking at the culture and how are we responding to the culture now I think we need to do all that we can in the culture as Christians to try to do good and to make it good but we have to remember that ultimately we can't legislate morality morality is a heart problem and the heart of the problem is sin And that's why there has to be another solution, a greater solution. Again, we need to be light and we need to be responsible citizens and vote and all the rest and do our very best to be the salt and light in the culture. Now, the danger here is is that we look at the culture and, and we can become very cynical. We can become judgmental and we can become disengaged with the culture. We just say, hey, we don't want to be a part of that. You know, we're just going to have our little subculture as, our, as a church and our Christian friends and, you know, let them be them and let us be us. They don't see it that way. And that's not how God sees it. So we need to look at the culture with conviction. 
We need to know and, and pray for discernment about what's going on there. But we need to look at the culture the way Jesus saw the culture. We look at it with conviction, but we also look at it with compassion. And when you look at how Jesus engaged the culture, he did that with compassion, right? So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And this Christmas season, I want us to look at the culture through the eyes of Christ and to know how we can allow Christmas to have its greatest impact with the culture that we live in today. Here's what Matthew records in Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, the culture, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now, there are several things I want us to note about the heart of the culture and how God sees the culture. First of all, God sees hurting people. In verse 36, what did he see? He saw the crowds, but he saw beyond the crowds. He saw in the crowds. He saw hurting people. He saw many who were weary and worn out. No shepherd. But let's take a step back and let's ask ourselves, what does God see in general? Well, first of all, God sees created beings. Colossians 1, Paul writes, By him, that is Christ, everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Through him, he's the creative agent, but they're created for him. Now, what does that mean as, it say, as he speaks to the culture? It means that every single person on this planet is valued by God. He sees them as a created being. And that their life has meaning and purpose. And he desires to have a personal relationship with them, with you. It also means that they are loved, that God has proven his love uh, to us, one specifically, in creating you, and also the second way is through the cross. He died on the cross for your sin. So when he looks at a created being, he sees that they are valued and that they are loved, and that third, they are uniquely designed. God's not trying to make you like somebody else. He wants you to be you. You're uniquely designed. You have a unique purpose. You have a unique uh, a mission about your life. The way you look is unique. Everything about you is designed by God. You're created in His image. And everything about you He knew before you ever were, as David says in Psalm 139. So He looks at you as a created being who's very special to Him. But secondly, he views you, as the Bible says, particularly in the New Testament, as an orphan who needs to be a part of his family. Paul says, or Jesus said this in John 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Jesus is leaving. This is part of his own funeral message to his disciples. And he says that, that the, the Spirit's going to come. The counselor will be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him Notice, how does he see the culture? 
They're unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. So all of us are spiritual orphans in need of adoption into God's family. That's how God sees the culture. But third, he sees us as sinners. He sees the culture as sinners. Those who are separated from God. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that as sinners we're still in bondage. Jesus said in John 8.34 I assure you everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin is not something that we dabble in every now and then. That apart from Christ we are in bondage. We are enslaved to sin. We're sinners. And sin is what controls us. It is the Lord of our life until we're set free by the Lord of all, by Jesus Christ. That means we stand guilty before him. That's how he sees the culture. That's how we need to see the culture. That they stand guilty before him and need his forgiveness. But notice the Bible also says that Jesus sees the culture as sheep. That's what he talks about here. He saw them as sheep that are weary, worn out, and without a shepherd. The word weary there means distressed, torn, harassed, worried, troubled, and mangled. He says they're worn out. That word means to be scattered, to be thrown down, to be prostrate on the ground. They're in bad shape. They're beat up. Now we look at the culture and we may not see it like that. And 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 we see them as people who've got their act together. Everything's okay. But down deep inside, they're people who are beat up emotionally, mentally, spiritually, some physically. They're hurting. They're desperate. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. They are desperate. Like sheep, he says, without a shepherd. That's what happens when you don't have a shepherd. Why? Because a shepherd leads and feeds. That's the primary role of a pastor. It's the primary role of the shepherd with his sheep. That he leads the sheep and he feeds the sheep. God has assigned shepherds to his sheep for those obvious reasons. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He's the high shepherd. But he has those who are under shepherds. It's the role that I have and other pastors have. But did you know that you are in a role of a pastor as a Christian? You're one who is in a position to, to help hurting people, to help sheep. Shepherding is a God thing. It's a part of our job. One qualification that every shepherd must have is that we have a love for Christ first before we have a love for the sheep. John 21, when Jesus is restoring Peter, that's the whole point. Peter, you got to love me first before you can ever love the sheep. And somebody say, well, I don't feel like that. I'm a shepherd. I don't feel like I can do that. I I can't be in that position. I don't have that giftedness. It's not a matter of giftedness. It's a matter of the fruit of the Spirit. You may not have the gift, but you have love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, patience. 
as Paul gives us about the character of Christ. We all possess that. So put it another way, a person helps his family because of his birth relationship. But he helps his non-family, the sheep who are weary and worn out, because of a new birth relationship. Now what does God see? God sees his creation who he loves and values. He sees them as orphans who need to be brought into his family. He sees them as sinners who need to experience his love and forgiveness, his grace and mercy. He sees them as sheep who need a shepherd. When you see the crowds, what do you see? Do you see them as Jesus sees them? Or you seize them with cynicism, judgmental, disengaged? Let me ask you a question. What do they see when they look at you? Do they see the same thing? Or do they see the difference of Christ in your life? Secondly, God hurts. When, when he sees hurting people, God hurts for hurting people. Notice the Bible says that Jesus felt compassion, that he was moved, another way that's translated. Which shows us that God has emotions. We see that with his anger toward Israel. It was a righteous anger. But it's a deep emotion that he had when Israel had failed in their mission and in their relationship to him. We see that when Jesus comes to see Lazarus who has died. And the Bible says Jesus wept. He was mourning. He was in sorrow over the death of his dear friend. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit grieves when we sin against the Lord. Here, he simply moved with deep, deep conviction and compassion. Many are moved emotionally, but that emotion never gets translated into action. Many are moved, but never changed. Many are moved, but never ministering. Many are moved with fear, so they freeze or flight. One of the two. Jesus here is moved with compassion. He hurts for hurting people. So when we see the culture, the heart of the culture, are we moved with compassion for hurting people? Which leads to the next point. God understands the reality of the need. Jesus made an assessment of the need. And there are two things in that assessment. First of all, there's a great opportunity. He says the harvest is abundant. There are a lot of sheep who are hurting and they want something different in their life. And they're ready for it. But notice secondly, there's little help. The workers are few. Now we've made a wrong assessment of the culture. When we see them through our eyes. We say to about some of them, well they're already a Christian. We don't need to worry about it. I mean they, they seem to be okay people. They're already a Christian. We say they're good people. And surely a loving God is going to allow all good people to go to heaven. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say that. There are a lot of good, sincere people, but they're sincerely wrong. And the reason for that is not because of the good things that they're doing that don't matter. It means that they have a sin nature, and that sin nature has to be dealt with. Because goodness is relative. I mean, you, 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 it's like trying to... Let's, let's all line up and let's jump across the Mississippi River to the other side. Let's just go down there today and try that. 
Now, now, some of us are going to jump further than the others. And we're going to have Olympic athletes. I'll, I'll invite them to come. We'll have the Olympic athletes who hold world records. And they're going to run down Broadway and they're going to try to jump across. But you know what's going to happen to every single one of us who try that? We're not going to make it. That's what our goodness is like. All of our goodness is going to fall short. Right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's not going to make it. Now, there are people who have a hard time swallowing that, and there are a lot of Christians who really believe this. And it's the lie of the the enemy. And people, good people who are doing good things, aren't going to make it apart from Christ. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. It's the sin nature that's the problem. See, that's what Jesus sees. He sees the heart of the problem, and the heart of the problem is sin. Not people being trying to be good. Well, they go to church. That doesn't mean anything. I could be parked in a garage. doesn't mean I'm a car. Some look at it and say, well, everybody goes to heaven one day. The Bible doesn't teach that. Not everybody is going to go to heaven. The Bible's very clear about that. Jesus was very, very clear about that. We look at the culture and we say, well, they'll find their way. All right, let's do another test. Let's walk out of the church and go down the street and let's just stand where people walk in and out of their apartments and out of the duplexes and out of some of these condos right here just in this neighborhood. And let's look at them with spiritual eyes and see if they're finding their way. They're lost. They don't know where they're going. They have no idea what what this is all about. They're asking that question, but they have no answers. And we need to see them that way. We've made a wrong assessment that they'll find their way. They will not find their way apart from those who bring the message to them of Christ. Some will say, well, there are many ways. They'll find that way. No, there's one way, and if there was another way, one other way, The cross would make no sense. Well, we've made a wrong assessment and we say, well, it's not my concern. Oh, it is our concern. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He told all of us to be his witness. Somebody will say, well, I can't share. Well, you have a testimony if you know Christ. You have a story to tell. You may not know everything about the Bible. You may not know apologetics. and, uh, And you may have a lot of fear about it. We've talked about this so many times. Well, look, you have a story. Something happened to you. And you you can tell them what happened when you came to know Christ. Here, Jesus made a concise but correct assessment. The harvest is abundant. They are ready. But the workers are few. Notice, finally, God calls his followers to pray. Verse 38, therefore... Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, why is he saying pray? It's a a strange thing to me. He could have said a lot of things here about what we ought to do. And he just simply asked us to pray. Now, here's why. Because when we pray, our heart is aligned with God's heart and the heart of the culture. 
The three come together to that intersection of the gospel. My heart, the heart of God, and the heart of the culture. He asks us to pray. Prayer brings conviction and a burden. And prayer moves us to action. And he says that, they'll be, that they will send out workers. That word literally means to thrust out. Not that they'll pray about going out or negotiate with God about going out. They'll be, such, be so moved with compassion, they'll be thrusted into action. Engaged with the world. He said to pray. Now, why did he say that? Because here's what I found out. When people have done this and they start praying for workers to go out into the harvest, that means to go out and engage the culture and share Christ, they become the worker. I know that about volunteers. When people start praying that we need more volunteers, hey, we pray as a church, we need more volunteers. And people who get serious about praying that God will give us more volunteers, you know what happens? They become the volunteers. And that's what happens here. That as we pray for the harvest, that God does something in our hearts and moves us into the harvest. Because we see them now for the first time for who they really are. Sheep. Worn out, weary, beat up. Who need a shepherd. Now that's the heart of the culture. My question is, do you see the culture, people? The way God sees them. And when we get his perspective that will motivate us, move us with compassion to engage with the culture. <clears throat> so I want to give you three takeaways this morning. Next steps for you. Number one, I want to ask everybody to do this. Number one, pray for the culture. You have an option. You need to have conviction about the culture. But don't let that lead to cynicism and judgmental, being judgmental and disconnected. Pray for the culture. Pray that God will help you see them as they are. It's easy to get mad. It's easy to, to give up and say, forget it. They deserve it. Boy, God help us when we say that. Because we all deserve hell. But do we see them the way he sees them? God, help me to see that person. To see the culture as you see them. Pray, God, give me a burden. Give me a burden for the lostness of this world. The lostness in this town. The lostness in my family. Ask God to help you be moved with compassion. God, I'm afraid. Help me overcome the fear. Move me. Then pray for workers. Lord, we need workers in the harvest. They're ready. We need more people sharing the gospel. We need more people serving in ministry. We need more missionaries. We need more pastors. But Lord, we need more lay people. The New Testament is not about hiring professionals to do ministry. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not in the Bible. Now, there are those who were being paid. It's in the scripture, but but but... But ministry is not, that's not what it's about. Ephesians 4, what does Paul say? That the role of the minister is to equip the saints to do the work of service, to do the ministry. We're all in this together. But third, the third step is engage the culture. 
engage the cult. Well, pastor, I'm scared to death. I mean, it, it's, it's dangerous. Because if I, if I go out in the culture and I try to live out my faith, I'm going to be accused of many things. That's what they're doing today. You know, they're calling Christians all kinds of names. So, yeah, there's a risk. But what are you going to say when you get to heaven? And Jesus says, how come you didn't do this? He said, well, I, I was afraid. I was afraid of what they're going to call me. So we engaged them. How did Jesus engage the culture? He loved them. He loved them. He served them. He hung out with sinners. He didn't condemn them. What did he tell the woman who committed adultery? Don't do this again. Hey, you're not condemned. Where are they? But, but don't do this. He loved her. There's a guy who, he was not a good guy. And he heard Jesus was coming to town, and so he climbs up in a tree. He wanted to see the action. And what did Jesus do? Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out with you for a little while. Transformed his life. Others hated him. We sing that little song, that little ditty, don't we? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But do we really understand the impact of that song? What it was all about? It was about Jesus hanging out with a guy who the others didn't like. I'm going to ask you to pray for one person between now and Christmas. It's not meant just a few weeks. That you can begin to love them and serve them. They may not respond to that. But begin to engage. And at some point along the way, they're going to ask themselves, and they'll probably ask you, what's up with you? What's this all about? And then you're ready to share with them the love of Christ. There are people who are hurting. They need help. They're desperate. They don't know what to do. They're helpless. And we have a great opportunity before us. A few years ago, several years ago now, uh, there was a man, uh, Wesley, uh, Wesley Autry. He was at the subway station in New York City, and he was standing there with his two young children. When a man standing next to him all of a sudden had a seizure and fell into the subway tracks. So something compelled him, moved him to let go of the hand of his children, and he jumped into onto those tracks and was doing everything he could to pull this man out, push him, pull him up, push him out. And he couldn't do it. And he saw that a train was coming, the light was coming. And he had to make a decision instantly. He threw the man between the tracks and laid his body on top of his body, hoping to save his life. And the train rolls over him. And on his back were grease marks from the train. But when the train rolled past, he looked at him and said, hey, tell my two girls their dad's okay. 2,000 years ago, God saw the culture, the heart of the culture, and he came. And he's laid his body over the sins of humanity when he went to the cross. But three days later, 
He stood up and said, hey, I'm okay. (laughs) I'm alive. Because he was moved with compassion for the heart of the culture. I pray that God will help each one of us be moved to do something to help sheep without a shepherd who need to experience the heart of Christmas. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here this morning who would say, Pastor, I recognize that I am a sinner and I need my sin forgiven. I'm like that battered sheep and I need help. And I need experience a shepherd who will lead me and feed me. Well, this morning, I want to give you the great opportunity to experience the love of Christ, to let the great shepherd, the good shepherd, lead you and to feed you and begin a journey of faith with God. And so I'm going to ask you in just a moment when we sing this next song to come to one of our pastors who will help you as you give your heart to Christ. It's not just praying a prayer. You're making a commitment to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Turn from your way to his way and experience real life. So you come in just a moment. There's some here in this room who would say, Lord, uh, Pastor, I know the Lord, but, but I'm a hurting sheep right now. Well, I want to encourage you. I want you to know that God loves you and he understands what you're going through right now. He cares about you. And just ask him to help you now. Lord, help me. Some of you would say, Pastor, if I were honest, I I really have a cynical attitude toward the culture. I know that's not right. That's not of God. That's not the the way God sees it. Ask God to help you see the culture the way he sees them. And that he'll move in your heart with great compassion for them. And for that one over these next few weeks, that you can impact their life with his love. There might be somebody else here, a family that feels like God is leading you to become part of our church family. We would so enjoy you being a part of the Linwood family. A loving fellowship, a great place for you to grow and learn in your faith. So we hope that you'll come today. Some may need to kneel here at the front of the altar and pray quietly, or maybe you want someone to pray for you, you let us know. But I, I, I pray most of all that you'll not miss this moment of God moving in your heart right now. Father, I pray that you help these who need to make commitments. Thank you, Father, how you love the sheep. Sometimes we're not very smart. Sometimes we don't do the wrong, do the right thing. Sometimes we hurt you in many ways, but you still love us. Help these who need to come now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go out.